Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 234 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. This week, we are deviating from our normal schedule to welcome Seth Golden on the show. Those of you who have been longtime listeners know that uh, both Matt and I discuss uh, Seth's research on the show quite frequently. Um, Seth is a, uh, a hedge fund consultant and a chief market strategist at Phenom Group. Uh, he is a 17-year veteran of the consumer packaged goods and retail industries. He's also worked for some of the largest retailers in North America, including Target uh, and Bed Bath & Beyond, which uh, my wife supports uh, weekly, it seems like. Um, Seth has been an uh, independent trader and economist since 2000, gradually improving his trading strategies and understanding of the global economy. In 2012, Seth grew his equity market participation and basis of knowledge with careful studies and participation in the VIX complex. He's most widely known for coining, or excuse me, coining the thesis desensitization of volatility, uh, which we'll get into. Seth has written uh, and published over 500 articles since 2012. So, uh, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, makes me sound like I know what I'm going to be talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all of us, right? Whenever uh, we hear our own bios get read. Um, but uh, uh, as always, we're just going to quickly run through uh, the month to date and year to date, which obviously here in January is the same uh, performance of the major market indices that we track. And this data is from Y charts and as of January 10th. Uh, S&P 500 index up 0.3% for the year uh, after a slightly rocky start. Dow Jones Industrial Average is flat on the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 0.3%. The Small Cap Russell 2000 Index down 2.8% on the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 1.4% so far this year. Three-month Treasury rate at 5.46%. The two-year Treasury rate at 4.37%. And the 10-year rate at 4.04%. Um, so kind of just to start, Seth, you know, can you talk just a little bit about yourself, your background and, you know, how you got started in the industry? Yeah. Favorite thing to do is one of my favorite pastimes is to talk about myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, if, if, if we go back far enough, the fifth grade, uh, I had this project you know, for my social studies class. And it was, you know, each, you know, each student had to pick a stock and, and follow it. And, uh, you know, back then, uh, I mean, uh, 20 years ago, um, no, uh, <laughs> it's, great. it's a little bit longer back, but you know, back then you could only get your, uh, you know, your quotes, your tickers in in the, in the weekly, in the daily newspaper. And so that's what I would do. I would check it. It was Disney. Right. I mean, what do you know as a kid? Right. Yeah. So, um, of course. 
And, you know, I, it happened to be a good pick. And I had the best stock pick in the class. <laughs> of fifth graders at the time, not knowing much of anything other than, right. you know, is, is, do I like going to Disney? Do I watch Disney movies? Um, but, you know, as I got older, um, it was always in the, in the you know, back of my mind. My dad was a stockbroker. And, um, you know, while he was running his, his day-to-day business, he, you know, he got his brokerage license and whatnot. And uh, this is in Miami where, where we lived. And uh, I remember 1987 going to his high-rise, you know, office, um, you know, with, with my mother because, you know, did, he wasn't coming home. And, you know, <laughs> certain nights he'd be out, you know, just really late. So we'd go to his high-rise office. I think this was down in Key, Key Biscayne area. And, um, you know, he was always just super stressed out. And uh, you don't realize it in real time as a kid. Um, but thinking back on it, the dates, I was like, oh, you know, 1987. Okay. Got it. So it was always something in the background for me. Uh, went through college. Um, I actually got my first degree in uh, English education to be a teacher. Um, but when the first opportunity came to, you know, trade my own account was 1999. And you had all of these electronic trading platforms surface, like, you know, E-Trade and uh, TD Ameritrade. And mine was um, Scott Trade. And uh, so I opened up my own brokerage account with uh, some money that my grandmother had given me as part of my college tuition that never got spent. You know, so I had this leftover sum I just put into this Scott Trade account. And um, I knew Starbucks, right? You know, 1999. I'm just trying this out again. I have my own money. I can actually do this. So it was Starbucks. And, you know, you're young. You don't know any better. Fortunately, I didn't get caught up in all of the dot-com stuff. And I, I had the, you know, maybe the intuition to just trade what you know. and so I was just trying to trade St- Starbucks while working, you know, a nine to five or in the morning, I'd put my order out there for Starbucks. And I was just hoping to make a hundred bucks a day, maybe a few hundred bucks a week. It was going pretty well. I decided to start spreadsheeting. Okay. The daily open, the daily close. When you used to have to do it by hand, right? Right. And um, I was doing pretty well, but you'll always recognize, okay, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table doing this day trading stuff. And um, one day I got lucky and uh, I wake up and there's a huge, you know, huge spike in the stock, like $4 in the pre-market, not knowing anything about earning seasons and things. And I was just like, okay, you know, I took my profits then. Um, But, you know, through education, um, I started to understand, okay, day trading is only going to get you so far. Let's try some swing trading. I graduated to swing trading. And then decided, you know, okay, I need to know what earnings are. I've got to understand what EPS is, revenues, gross margins, and all this stuff. So I started reading quarterly transcripts, and I started to broaden my my. Wait a second, I work for Target. Why don't I know? Why why am I not buying Target shares? I, I know retail. Why do I not own Walmart? And you know, so things start, you know, manifesting in in that direction to where I'm. I'm having a better understanding of quarterly earnings and the trends of, you know, the stocks and, and things of that nature. Um, and so bef- before I knew it, um, I had my second degree 
And I decided, okay, I've been in retail for 20 years, maybe. Um, my passion, I'm really developing, you know, just, I want to do something else. Um, and Target was great to me, um, paid for my advanced education, uh, for which they thought I was going to go to Minnesota and be with their law department, their legal department. And uh, I decided to go off my own. And uh, my uh, good friends were starting their own research uh, boutique firm, uh, doing sell-side research, uh, trying to sell to you know, institutions, uh, RIA shops, uh, hedge funds, and so forth. Um, so I was doing full-fledged, you know, macro, top-bottom, bottoms-up research on individual stocks as well as uh, the broader market. And uh, this was uh, probably by 2011. Uh, and the more you do that, the more that you get into all of those nuances and the weeds and the stuff that Warren Buffett rightfully says, stay away from, because uh, <laughs> it'll drive you crazy. But at the same time, the level of education and understanding you have for stocks, markets, and the economy, um, you know, you, you, it, it's just a treasure trove. You learn to respect what Warren Buffett says. Do you have great Stuff that you can talk at at parties and whatnot and make yourself sound smart. Absolutely. Is it practical to a lesser degree, right? I mean, <laughs> if you just pick blue chip stocks like JP Morgan and Apple, like, do you really have to read their quarterly reports? You get a lot of it on the you know, media networks and whatnot. And you look at what the stock price has done and you look at what's in your hand most of the time, right? So, um, yeah, I did a lot of boutique research. We did very well. Our firm got bought out. And, um, I, yeah, I've been investing uh, on my own. I created the Golden Capital Portfolio in, in, in 2012, uh, you know, just a partner. Um, we, we all put our money into the you know, portfolio that I would manage. I would do the buying and the selling and, and what have you. Um, and we've grown that participation over the years as well. Um, so multi, you know, managing a multi-million dollar um, portfolio um, up to this time. And my goal has always been uh, to kind of put a bow on this uh, to at least meet the market's you know, performance annually. And um, I've been successful in that above and beyond. I mean, generally, I, I beat the market um, because I stick with the market. Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm not trying to outsmart the market. I, 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 you know, I hold myself in high esteem, just not that high esteem. <laughs> right. Um, so right. I've learned over the years that um, the market actually, we can make it quite simple for ourselves as investors, or we can make it extremely difficult. Uh, the more stock picking you're doing, probably going to be more difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, the more ETF and index you know, um, instruments that are in your portfolio, you're probably going to do better. And if you can lower the volume on that CNBC or Bloomberg in the in the background, you'll probably do better as well. So, yeah, well, no, that's interesting. Thanks for the, the, you know, the deep dive into kind of your background. And it's funny, uh, Disney, that was actually one of mine as well, uh, but didn't turn out too well. So I, um, graduated from the university of Dayton and they have what's called the Davis center there. And they piece off a portion of the university's endowment, uh, for the students to manage in this organization. Um, and the, the stock I pitched was Disney. 
and, you know, was super high on it, you know, practiced my pitch to the organization a, a million times, it seemed, and thought it went really well and it got accepted into the portfolio, um, but just did horribly. I think it was like 2015 or 2016 uh, when that happened. And that's when Disney started going sideways uh, as the market continued to go up. Um, so my experience with Disney was uh, was not as good as yours in fifth grade, unfortunately. I think that was the Pixar jinx, right? Yeah. When they acquired <laughs> Pixar. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And then they had, you know, Iger left and now he's back. And yeah, so they got a lot of stuff going on. But I would say it's, it, you know, it's getting time for Disney to start to do it's something attractive. here. It's yeah, attractive. Yeah, it's very attractive. So, um, Matt, I know you had a couple questions for, uh, for Seth, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, Seth. First of all, super pumped to have you on the podcast. Your content on X is just absolutely amazing. So for our listeners and viewers, his handle is at Seth CL. Um, just absolutely consistently good content. So um, I know a lot of your work, Seth, is centered around the VIX and volatility. So in your own words, for our listeners and viewers, can you explain what the VIX is and why you decided to focus on it so much in your work, sir? Well, how that part of my educational journey started was we had a client when I was um, doing the research for Capital Ladder Advisory Group. And we so impressed with, you know, what we were doing in the consumer packaged goods space. You know, I, I was covering your Walmarts, your Targets, your Best Buys, your Bed Bath & Beyonds, blah, blah, blah. And so when the clients came to me with an S1, uh, you know, the prospectus for the um, pro shares, ticker symbol, UVXY. Um, now, to this point, I knew that the VIX was a 30-day implied measure of forward volatility. That's it, right? It's calculated off of the S&P 500's options market. That's about all I knew. If it's going up, more than likely 85% of the time, the S&P 500 is going down. And if the VIX is going down 85% of the time, S&P 500 is going up. That, that was my basis of knowledge. Seth, I, I can't figure this out. I, I want you to read it and, and give me your feedback on it. So I'm reading the S1 filing and I'm like, short dated, it's futures, price stuff. And I'm, you know, and I'm just like, by the second paragraph, I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> you know, I, what I know from this, here's my feedback. Stay away from it. If I can't figure it out, um, you need a, you know, someone who's dedicated and knows, you know, that much more about the options market and futures market than, than do I. And he's like, I, I really want you to take, because I think this is quite compelling. All right, let, let me really, let me sit down. Like, let me not just say, okay, I read the first two and I didn't give it, a, you know, it's due attention and kind of fluff it off. All right, let me really do it. But I need time. I'll pay you for your time, Seth. That's never been in question. Okay, all right, now, now we're talking. <laughs> so I read it further and I'm, I'm, I get to the end and I'm like, well, if you're not supposed to hold this overnight and blah, blah, blah. All right, whatever. I, I don't understand the futures and the pricing and the arbitrage involved in this particular instrument. So I decide, okay, I need a subcontractor. Who can I find that actually specializes in the volatility complex that can educate me so I can educate my client? 
So I hook up with this this other firm, and they go through the A, you know, from A to Z with me over about a month, about a month. And my clients get, he's like, Seth, anything? And I'm like, I'm getting Getting there. Give me some time. Yeah. And so finally, I started feeling like I have a good understanding of how the derivative nature of the volatility complex. And, but I want to put it into practice, what, what I'm reading and what he's informing me. And these are brand new instruments, these volatility, uh, exchange traded products, whether they're in the an exchange traded fund or an exchange traded note, I'm starting out, but they're new. So there's not a lot out there in the way of studies. There's really trial and error. So what are we going to do? We're going to trial and error this thing. So I dedicated about a hundred thousand to start trading the UVXY and see what came of it. So here I am, we've got a good stock market and volatility is pretty tame. And these are a derivative of the VIX. It's a fourth degree remove, but it's still derivative. And okay, so I'm going to buy it because I think the market is due for a correction. And I think the VIX should elevate. I buy it. The market starts to correct. The VIX starts to elevate. UVXY still going down. What the? All right. Well, maybe maybe it's just something in the rebalancing nature of the product. Uh, Let me add a little bit more. So now I'm increasing my position size. Market's still correcting. This is the European uh, debt crisis time frame. Reese is in the headline every day. Exactly. And I'm like, (laughs) what the? All right. So. My dollar cost average, yeah, I'm still dollar cost averaging. And then it starts to, you know, starts to elevate and whatnot, but it's not doing what the VIX is doing. The VIX is really starting to move, but my UVXY is going, it's like a snail's pace. And okay, wait, wait, Contango. I remember him telling me about Contango and all these, this different language around the volatility complex. So let me go look at this stuff. And I'm like, I'm screwed here. Well, I mean, you know, forgive me. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is not going to work. There's huge contango. I'm no matter what the VIX does, I'm not going to make any money on the long side here. So that's when it started to dawn on me as I, you know, rate a little more, more, go back to my coach. And I'm like, is this true? If X, then Y? He's like, yeah, that's what I was trying to explain to you, Seth. I'm like, Okay, I'm starting to get it. So if I short this product, if I short UVXY and I give myself enough duration or liquidity in the position, I should make money based on this contango mathematics, right? And and your words, just 20 seconds. Can you explain contango for listeners, Seth? So contango is essentially when the front dated future contracts are priced lower than the backdated future contract. So what an asset manager, the, the asset manager of this portfolio of UVXY, of the ProShares product is doing on a daily basis is he's rebalancing uh, the, the instrument, the assets under management every day that authorized personnel is what they're called, has to sell the front dated futures contracts because futures are, they expire. They don't live forever, right? They have an expiration date. So you got to get rid of the um, ones that are closest to expiry 
and buy the backdated contract. So you're selling low and you're buying high. That's contango. The opposite of that is backwardation, where you're buying high and selling lower. And that's where you know you can get in trouble from the short side. So if I'm short UVXY, but we're in backwardation, the term structure of these futures contracts are in backwardation. Now it's working against that short volatility position. So to kind of make a long story short here, that's how I got involved in, it was basically a client wanting to better understand this new product from ProShares. And it took me down this, you know, this journey. Rabbit hole. Yeah. To basically, under, when you understand volatility, the volatility of markets and the nature of volatility in markets, you get a better understanding of how to invest well. Um, I, I think I had mentioned earlier, stay, stay in the market. Um, and, you know, to the, we just had a bear market, which literally had the lowest median VIX during a bear market cycle in history. That's a so bold stat. That's a, that's a big stat. Big stat. Right. The desensitization of volatility. Um when you understand volatility, you understand the S&P 500 in the sense that volatility has no probability of existing in a perpetual uptrend, right? I mean, if you, if you just think about it logically, nobody's going to put their money into a market that is moving 5 and 6 and 7% a day, right? I mean, we saw that back during COVID, yep. right? And we had limit down days on a, on a couple occasions where there were the rumblings of maybe we close the markets for a week. Right? Yeah, those weren't fun. Right. <laughs> Nobody will put their money into that situation. So there's no probability that, and people don't like using such generalizations or absolutes in the investing sphere, um, but there's no probability that exists whereby volatility can persistently trend higher forever. And if you accept that as an investing principle, you understand that the S&P 500 has the opposite. It has no probability of going down over time and only the probability of going up over time, either structurally or because of earnings growth. One of the two is going to make that happen on that S&P 500 path over time. Interesting yeah. viewpoints. I love it. One, one comment that I have is, you know, when people see these um, ETFs and these ETNs that you discussed, they got to remember that those are trying to replicate right. a specific index. You're not, and there's no guarantee of success that they're going to be able to do that and or the performance is going to be equal even when you yeah. take out the expenses. So you right. gave a really good illustration of that, Seth, um, in addition to you providing you know, light behind volatility and how it affects the market. Awesome, awesome. You. Mark, you want to go next, sir? Yeah, I um I want to throw up a chart um for the people watching on uh, YouTube. This will also be in our show notes, but this was a tweet uh, Seth from you back on December 29th of of last year. Um and you tweeted, uh, "Remember, the small cap performance is just a rental with the option to buy. Outperformance after peak interest rates historically lasts only 6 months, then it underperforms every other asset class." So um, can you kind of explain this graphic that's on the YouTube video right now for, for listeners? Sure. Uh, 
essentially, if the Fed is going to be lowering rates, um, historically, out of the gate, and, and you tend to price that early, right? The, the market tends to be a forward discounting mechanism. Uh, small caps tend to do the best because A, they have the most beta um, composition because they are small, uh, and B, because, well, they're very interest rate sensitive. And so if we're talking about lowering interest rates, the sentiment behind the most interest rate sensitive areas of the market will tend to outperform near term. And once that's all priced in and the Fed you, you know, is expected to get to that comfortable place with uh, the Fed funds rate, that outperformance fades. And then you get back to, okay, where's the earnings growth? Well, it's generally in large cap growth. Okay, so that starts to outperform. So from that perspective, I've been of the opinion and remain of that opinion that small caps are a good rental, yeah, but I don't want to be in them long term. They're small caps for a reason. It's because the you know they don't have the capital. They you know they they don't have the earnings, you know, and and that's what it all comes down to. Where's the greatest earnings growth going to come from? Is usually where the capital flows, even if not in the immediacy over the long term. So I would be, you know, the other thing that um, not not specifically to that tweet, but in talking to my clients, I've emphasized that never before in history, right? The, the small cap go back to, I think, 1986, 1987 is when the index was created. Never in the history of the small cap index has it been in bear market territory three consecutive years. So we just went through 2022 and 2023, where in both of those years, it expressed bear market territory. What's the probability? You know, I, I want to lean into the highest probabilities. So maybe it doesn't outperform for the whole of the year, small caps, but there's always that percentage of a person's portfolio that says, okay, I'm not going to outperform, but where can I know based on the data, I'm going to get a return on that capital regardless. And the data says that, you know, historically you've never had three down, three bear market expressions um, in consecutive years for small caps. So I, I, that, I was talking to that with our clients uh, in October when small caps were making another loan. I said, based on the data, now's when you buy. And lo and right. behold, rocket ship to the upside. Yeah. And to add fuel to the fire, it was like perfect timing because like on a seasonality basis, if you just look at a calendar year, like the fall through the end of the year is when small caps typically outperform. So yeah. you combine that with, you know, what you're talking about with the fed having peak interest rates, it was like, okay, you know, small caps were like, they were like up like 3% for in the middle of the year, then like 5% then down to like negative uh, yeah. after the sell-off in late summer and early fall. And then they ended up the year like up like 16 or 17%, right? So it was kind of a, a, a wacky year uh, for small caps, but um, yeah, we're, yeah, we're you, kind of in the same boat with you there. Yeah. You nailed that Seth. And you look at the relative performance of large to small the last couple of years and how dramatic that was that lines up uh, well with your research. 
let's just keep adding to this. I think your viewpoints are just uh, very intriguing and I love them. So on January 6th, um, you had a tweet, and I still love that. We all three of us call them tweets by the, for the record. <laughs> yeah. um, you had a tweet about your 2024 outlook, and I think it was kind of a summarization, but let's talk about it. You said, okay. one, fourth bear market in six years, which has never happened before. Two, double-digit gains for the fifth time in six years, which has only happened two times since 1930. You posted that on January 6th. Can you go a little deeper for us and just tell us what you're thinking here? So what I was thinking is these are your extremes, right? Neither of these are high probability outcomes. Yes. Uh, I, I tend to think very quantitatively. You know, uh, as an investor, uh, you know, I guess the greatest metaphor is, you know, if you're going to go to Vegas, do you want to stack the deck in your favor or not? So I look at investing the same way. What are my probabilities based on this set of data? So again, you know, we've never had uh, in a six-year period four bear markets. That's never happened before. So we can, you know, quantitatively suggest that more than likely we're not going to have a bear market in 2024. And there's been a lot of scary times over the last, yes. <laughs> say, hundred years. There's been a Absolutely. lot of scary times. And yet we still have not managed that feat of strength for bear markets in six years. So yes. on the opposite you know, end of that is, okay, is this going to be another double digit year? You know, another double digit year of returns. And you know, based on what, what is it, a five year time horizon, um, you know, having four double digit return years in five years, that's very rare also. So really what I was trying to project there is if you look at the two extremes, we're probably going to thread the needle, right? We're probably going to have something in the middle there for everybody to enjoy. Mm -hmm. So that, that was, you know, I'm, I don't have a verified account, so I can only fit so many characters in my right. post. Um, but that was the intention. I, I want people to think about here's the extremes more than likely. Um, you're not going to get either of those because they're very low probabilities. It's going mm -hmm. to be something in the middle more more likely than not. Right, well, so which, which I think is a very logical way to look at, you know, outlooks or if you want to call them predictions and, um, you know, listeners that have, you know, listened to our show for quite some time know that I um, am very heavily against uh, outlooks and predictions, uh, you know, from analysts or economists because, 99% of the time they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so. I do it really just for the sake of testing myself. Yeah. You know, uh, I do it for our clients. I, I give a, you know, a, a price target and whatnot, but really it's, you know, how I'm trying to test myself. What are my touch points with the whole macro market picture based on this outlook or this but rather price. than opinion you're basing them on a lot of historical data right. yeah. and you're applying it to today's situation which exactly. i think is a little bit different 100%. Yeah. so kind of dovetailing off of that seth you know it sounds like you you know use fundamentals uh technicals you know economic data points you use all of that when you go into creating your thesis and your positioning and your portfolios yeah i i believe that you know, the best, the best investors I've come across, the best hedge fund managers that I've consulted with over the years, um, they, they use it, you know, the three, what I believe are the best three disciplines, quantitative analysis, fundamental analysis, and technical analysis, and or have 
you know, within their firm, you know, those disciplines cover to, you know, give them feedback and what have you. So I, I tend to use all three of those. Uh, in earnest, you know, fundamentals, I, I've been doing for, you know, 12, 13 years. That's, that's where my comfort zone is. Um, I got into technical analysis and appreciating the value of technical analysis probably about seven years ago. So that, uh, and it's only been about five, six years that I've uh, dove into the quantitative side. And uh, to be, you know, again, to be honest, uh, that's where I'm finding the greatest passion is the quantitative studies and, and data because, you know, what, where technicians will say, well, it's black and white. You know, um, th there's no fundamental, you know, garbage that can lend bias. Like, well, the CEO said this, and well, his sentiment, his tenor on the conference call. Uh, at the same time, even with technical analysis, you're bringing a degree of I see the lines this way, you know, and and I do know, I do know Apple. So even though the technicals say this. There's some degree of knowledge about that stock and or company that is pushing bias into your calculation, so to speak. Whereas quantitative analysis, it very much is. You can't, um, you can't manipulate it. You know, it's, it's historical data. It happened. And this is, the, this is the print. It's like a diagnostic. You know, you, you can't go back in time. Uh, you know, if you're a mechanic and say, well, if, you know, let me go back in time and tell the guy to put oil in his engine, like that doesn't work. And it's the same thing with quantitative and that there's nothing you can put in there. You know, you either go with the highest probabilities or, you know, flat out, you're injecting your own persona and, and bias into this. So. Yeah, and a perfect example of well that said. is uh, well said, it's, a, it's, it's an election year, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep, yep. Election years. There's a lot of data about election years. A lot of which, which, present. yeah, which is, uh, which I think would surprise a lot of people, right? Because they think, you know, um, you know, if a Democrat's in, in the White House or Republicans in the White House, the market's good or the market's bad. And then we give them the data and it's like, actually, it's kind of the opposite. So, <laughs> yeah, if you want to make enemies at a party, you know, you, you give yeah. them facts about, you know, who's. <laughs> Oh you my know, God, when the yeah. market does better. You wanna... Yeah, exactly. Hey, I'd, rather, on, I'd rather make enemies at a party and, and be right with uh, clients' portfolios, right? right. That's right. When it, when it comes to politics, I think that's a, you know, a root of evil for a lot of investors, too. They invest their politics, and it's just uh, never we, we been see a it, we, idea. we see it all the time on the front line, Seth. <laughs> so um, I got another one. Let's kind of make a transition. I know you sent over a graphic. Uh, to us, what you kind of coined the mid-decade bulge. Uh, Jenna's going to put up this um, this piece, this illustration for our YouTube viewers so they can see the chart. This will be in our show notes for our traditional podcast listeners. I would encourage them uh, to take a peek at this. Will you, first of all, walk through the data set and then explain what they're looking at, Seth? Absolutely. So giving credit where credit is due, this study actually came from Jay Kapil at the Sentiment Trader. And he they did, do phenomenal he, work. Yeah, 100%. I, I just stumbled upon it. Again, a client sent it to me, and I was like, looking at the graphic, I was like, wow. And it, it just forces you to realize, look, the longer you stay with the market, the, your, time is your friend. Again, going another famous quote from Warren Buffett, 
you know, make time your best friend. Yeah. And, and what the chart shows is the mid-decade bulge essentially starts at September, the end of September of a, of a decennial year or a year that ends in two. And it yeah. runs through the year, uh, I think it's the end of the first quarter of a year that ends in six. So it's a four, basically a four year cycle that ends in the middle of the decade, hence the mid-decade bolt. And when you go all the way back to the 1920s, the only time that particular um, set of years or cycle has delivered a negative return was, I, I believe, in the 1970s. That's yeah. it. And the returns are pretty strong. I mean, yeah. high double digits, even triple digits on a couple of those mid-decade bulges, but only one in the 1970s delivered a negative return. So we are in that period right now. Uh, you know, it started September, the end of sep September, 2022, low and behold, what we bottomed in October of 2022, and it's been off to the races. We're still in that cycle, which is why I've often encouraged, you know, our, our clients, hey, if you get a pullback, Again, if you think longer term and you think about this mid-cycle bulge. You're under-allocated you to risk assets. Exactly. Yeah, you're under-allocated. When you can get more exposure, the data says get more exposed. Yeah. Love the thought process. Mark? Yeah. No, it was great. No, I, I love love seeing that. I think uh, you know, if you're not, if you're just listening to this, go ahead and check out our show notes and take Absolutely. a peek at this because the returns are are pretty strong. Um, kind of wrapping up here, Seth. Just the, a final question for you. You know, what services do you offer to you know your clients through um, through your company, and you know who is your target client, uh, and then at at the very end, you know, where can listeners go to learn more about you or follow your work? Yeah. So our first firm got bought out back in 2015 and unfortunately we had a non-compete, so I couldn't open another, you know, a firm and website, but, you know, as soon as we could, we did. And we started Phenom Group, uh, F-I-N-O-M group.com. Uh, we started that the day we opened, uh, the day after Christmas in 2017. Uh, so phenomgroup.com, what we, what we do and what we offer, we cater to all um, walks of the you know, investing classes, whether it's institutions or retail, RIA shops. Uh, we do white, we white paper as well. Um, but what we, I offer a macro market research report uh, three times a month, give myself a weekend off, you know. <laughs> um, they go out Sundays. Um, we have subscription levels for, you know, investors or just those folks who want, you know, that, that high level, high quality research, you know, that encompasses your technicals on the markets, uh, your fundamentals on the, the economy, uh, and your quantitative studies. We put all three of those disciplines into the macro market research report, uh, three times a month. Um, we, we cater also to investors and traders that are actively managing portfolios day in and day out. So we have uh, our premium level subscription gives you the opportunity to mirror what I'm doing with the Golden Capital portfolio. Um, so you get my trade alerts, my investing ideas. You get to uh, into our trading room, which operates uh, eight o'clock to four o'clock, eight fifteen to four o'clock when the closing bell is on Wall Street. 
So you get my commentary throughout the day. You get the education you know, throughout the trading day. You don't have to feel like you're alone. There are far too many, quote unquote, lone wolf traders that might last a year to two years in the market before they're ushered out because they think lone wolf trading is you know, how they're going to succeed. Um, so you, you, you get access to, to myself and all of our other members who are you know, quite sophisticated. I mean, we, we have uh, you know, uh, folks that trade the prop desk at Goldman Sachs you know, in our trading room, uh, credit, well, former Credit Suisse, um, you know, traders and, and what have you there in our trading room, UBS. Um, so we have a lot of high you know, level clientele. And I do white, white, uh, white paper uh, for, uh, you know, like RIA offices, as well as, you know, some popular institutions, which I'm not supposed to mention. So. Yeah, great. <laughs> well, again, Seth, thank you uh, very much for coming on the show. We, we really My value pleasure. your work and appreciate, you know, all you do uh, for our industry. You know, we're like Matt said earlier, we're very data dependent here at Jessup Wealth Management. Um, and we like to use, you know, history as our guide and data as our guide forward, uh, rather than just our opinions on things. So, uh, appreciate everything you do and, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Absolutely. You're a rock star, Seth. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the independent advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the independent advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.